Hello. Before we start this week's episode, a few words on the Russian invasion in Ukraine. Europe is again experiencing the horrors of war. Russian dictator Vladimir Putin has orchestrated a violent invasion of Ukraine that is entering its third week at the time of this recording. Putin's army is carrying out this unjust and senseless war of aggression in the foulest fashion. The heavy bombing of civilian targets is simply an atrocity. Two million Ukrainians have been forced to flee from their homes. Our thoughts and our hearts are with the people of Ukraine. In the light of this horrendous situation, most things feel less important. Making a podcast about a card game from the 1990s or listening to said podcast feels less important. We are producing this week regardless, but feel we cannot do so without saying a few words. Also, we know full well that our words matter little. While listening to this week's episode, consider donating to UNHCR, the Red Cross, Médecins Sans Frontières, or any other one of the key actors who are aiding the people of Ukraine in this terrible situation. Make sure to get your news from credible sources. In the future, if you are not already, consider supporting such news outlets as well. Without the brave work from the people at the international organizations and media, Russian dictator Vladimir Putin's evil deeds could be carried out with a lot less attention from the world. Thank you for your solidarity. Now, this week's episode. Welcome, listeners, to the 39th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me, as always, are my lovely co-hosts, Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. To you, dear listeners, we would like to say thank you for tuning in. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on a Top Deck app. First, a bit of housekeeping here. If you are listening to us in the Acast podcast listening app, you need to make some alterations in your life as this app will shortly be discontinued. Acast are going to focus their work more on the publishing side. There are a multitude of podcasting listening apps out there and I'm sure this will work out for you anyway. Uh, and we will uh, continue to use Acast for our publishing means because we do like Acast in that sense. So in this week's episode, we will discuss our recent paper play and once more return to our favorite segment the basic land connoisseur panel at this meeting of our most learned and distinguished landscape art analyst society we are looking at the basic land of eight cast the one island however first things first paper legacy was played robin tell us everything about it all right very excited to uh, talk about eight cast the entire episode because that was what I was playing. And of course, finally, the Kappa Cannoneer arrived at Christopher's place so that we both had the opportunity to play the, the little turtle warrior. So uh, let's start off by talking a little bit about the deck and how how I changed it from being a old school 8-cast deck to the new hotness of Kappa Cannoneer 8-cast deck. So... I was not too keen of cutting uh, too many of the draw spells because like you play so many bad cards and you need you need uh, 
quite a lot of velocity, in my opinion, to churn through your deck to get to the payoff cards in 8-cast. So I kept in 7 of the of the draw cards, and uh, my cuts were one of the thought monitors there. Because the thought cast is like uh, very much easier to cast than the thought monitor. And uh, like it's a, it's a great turn one or ten, turn two play to bridge into sort of the 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 haymaker cards that maybe that you may start casting from turn three and and forward. So my cuts were some of the flex slots and in particular the the Ursa saga targets. So I just kept the shadow spear and the retrofitter foundry in and cut both the soul guide lantern and the pithing needle that I had in the main before. So that was two cards that I cut, and then the thought monitor was one of the cuts, and then I only played three lotus petals, because that is like the worst top deck in the entire deck, I think. So I, I, I rather I rather draw like a, a draw spell than, than a lotus petal. And uh, I started out facing Maverick, and I had a little bit of trouble when my Emery was facing one of his scavenging ooze. But uh, in both games, I sort of snowballed quite heavily because he was trying to mana denial me. And uh, I think that's a losing proposition against 8-cast because you get onto the board so quickly so that even if like the opponent is wasting you every turn with the Knight of the Reliquary, you can still keep up. Just by the card draw and like presenting threats each turn. And of course Kappa Cannoneer was a great finisher there. Because since he was wastelanding me he wasn't really progressing his own mana base. And uh, he wasn't able to pay the the tax and the ward. And then in game 2 I faced off against A&T. Great to have the black discard combo deck back. And in game one, I had a great hand. I had a chalice on one and a force of will. But I did not find a threat for several turns. And he just made lander drops. And uh, then on his sort of final turn, he could just play out all of his cards. And like throw rituals and, and stuff into my chalice. It didn't matter because he had uh, cabal rituals to make all the mana that he needed. And then he natural tendrils me from his hand. So my force of will was dead. So that was quite quite brutal game one. But then in game two, I had quite the package that I could board in. With Fluster Storms and Force of Negations and a little bit of Graveyard Hate. So I managed to squeeze in the, the two other games there. Like that first game that you lost there seems to me like how Storm was intended. <laughs> Yeah. You wait for a long while until you have lots of mana and then you can just cast a bunch of spells and then make a profit of that. Like fair storm. I think this is what they envisioned originally. <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll just feed my graveyard with rituals to get to Cabal Ritual. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, it was it was really cool. I mean it it was like I was re- thinking real hard after that game. Was there at some point that I could have force the wheel the ritual or something to just squeeze him off mana but it wasn't impossible he had like six lands in play and like a full grip of cards so 
it was it was just like that beautiful storm wind that you sometimes manage to pull through with the with the ANT deck. And I was just I was just like happy for him beating Shelly's hand <laughs> for the <a> will. <laughs> it's like I'm not even mad about it. That's also like one of the things I love with uh, ANT when you just hit your land drops and you're sitting there against like a control player or whatever, and then you just pass the turn. They do their things and pass back. You just tap five mana and cast an Adnauseum. And they're like, oh god, I gotta counter this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So nice. A bit similar, it's also when you, as a reanimated player, get to hard cast your Grizzle Brand over a ley line. Happens once a year, but it's a great feeling. Yeah, that's why they play the rituals, right? Not for the turn one crazy plays. <laughs> of course, of course. I should say something about the game three because that was kind of cool. He played quite an early Empty the Warrants because I had, uh, I think it was Grafdigger's Cage in play, so we couldn't go through a piff line. And I managed to raise Empty the Warrants with a Kappa Cannoneer uh, without Shadow Spear. <laughs> just like blocking the, war- the goblins once and then just hitting really hard. So that was pretty cool. Chef's kiss. All right, so in game uh, three, I faced off against red green lands and uh, once again like uh, this matchup can be quite uh, troublesome they have caracas for your uh, your legends and they have tabernacle for your your little thopter tokens but they don't really have anything for kappa cannoneer and like like you mentioned in an earlier episode like mace didn't really feel as an option either because uh, like you are so fast on the board so even if they have a, a, a quick start the board is troublesome for them so so we had some really interesting games uh, quite back and forth and he had a, like a merit lage always luring and i i needed to make like uh, blockers uh, Copter blockers and all of that stuff, and and try to like ship in damage with a uh, with a kappa that could like attack through his merit lich that was on guard. So I, I managed to win two uh, one eventually there. So from there I was on to like the the sort of finals against the other three o person, and he was on Jeskai uh, breacher, like the, you know the hull breacher fish door deck, <laughs> and like that is that deck is the bane of my existence when I when I play this. This eight card deck because like the main deck is really strong to begin with. They have a lot of removal. Uh, they are not super susceptible to chalice because they have a lot of three drops and like planeswalker and that kind of stuff. And then of course like the hull breachers and narsets are just really <laughs> problematic when you're trying to draw a lot of cards with with I mean with the, with the costs but also all of the baubles are just turned off. So. That was, I, I shall not say it was close. It was sort of close because I had a Kappa, but he like found his verdict on this fourth turn when he could play it and just wipe my board. And I, I wasn't coming back from that. And uh, in game two, I think he sort of wheeled three times, something like that, until he found like what he needed to deal with my with my board presence and like from all of the uh, treasures he made from <laughs> wheeling three times he had enough mana to deal with everything so it's like omniscience at that point yeah it really is the new, new show and tell deck in in some sense it does sound like fun though for your opponent yeah i, I believe it's really fun deck i i cannot imagine anything otherwise than that but like i i i'm certainly going to devote more cards for that matchup before control decks in general because I feel like the mid-range 
battles, they are already in favor. And like you have so many cards between like the counter spells and chalice and like permanent hate that you can bring in from the board to fetch with Ursa Saga. So like the, the combo decks feel quite alright. So I'm I'm just gearing up to beat this uh, sort of for, for like eight cards, it's like a prison deck. <laughs> it prisons me. I cannot draw all the cards that I want. So we can talk a little bit about that later. But uh, so, what, what cards? What cards would you uh, would you put then? I mean, there's there's different philosophies. I think uh, where you want to go, you could like bring in a threat that uh, that attacks from another angle. I suppose like Court of Cunning is such a threat. But the thing is that like half the the point of Court of Cunning is that you also draw more cards. And Hullbreacher stops that, like, half of the Court of Cunning. But the mill side can be quite strong. But on the other hand, if they play, like, one of their wheels, they just shuffle the <laughs> graveyard back into the deck. And, like, your milling has been uh, made useless. And then there's, like, a Planeswalker plan that you could have with either, like, Karn the Great Creator in a package or Karn Sign of Ursa to make, like, lots of tokens. But then the other idea is to be a little bit more prisony and to try to cut them off mana before they can like play the supreme verdicts or or get to like the the three to four mana spells that will turn the tables. So I think that's where I'm going to start, and I'm thinking in terms of Winter Orb or Tangle Wire. That's where I'm think that I'm starting because they they won't present a lot of permanent in the early game so a tangle wire will be a, a, a multiple time walk against them at least in theory <laughs> so we'll see where it goes and 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 a lot, uh, all of their things are sorcery speed as well except for the hull breacher but like the planeswalkers and the sweepers are all sorcery speed so uh, being tapped out in your upkeep from a tangle wire can be troublesome for them i hope but testing will commence and we'll see where it goes how did it go for you, Christopher? I had a, a lot of fun. Like you mentioned, I was the second Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. I got my package home uh, with all of our Kappas, uh, so that was great. And I had never played this deck before, so it was uh, real fun to, you know, get a hands-on experience and try the deck out and see see what made sense. And our lists were quite different. I was... <laughs> for instance uh, a free cast deck <laughs> i actually cut two of my fob monitors no three of my fob monitors and two of my of my fob casts so i actually went down super hard on draw spells to fit my kappas uh, you know i wanted to keep all size all emery's and the tutor targets but i also wanted to try otawara so i actually i played 17 lands which i think might be one too much i think i'll shave an island or something like that because it felt like maybe that should be another draw spell or so but now when i've revisited the list a bit i might actually go up to maybe seven draw spells anyways uh, because they're really potent they help you get your cap out real fast and it's just super solid but uh, yeah i I, my tutor package for Sagas were Retrofitter, uh, Edder Spellbomb, Piffing Needle, and Shadow Spear. And both the Spellbomb and the Piffing Needle was incredibly nasty against my opponents all evening. So I was super happy about that. And uh, round one, I played against Death and Taxes. And from what I've heard, this is a really tricky matchup. 
and uh, you know having my premiere experience with the deck it it's it's not the matchup you want to warm up to maybe but i lost two quick games i'm all to six and five in my games and in both games i I mold because I saw too many lands and no action. And uh, the, ha- the hands I kept was really weak to Wasteland. And I got Wasteland at both games. But funnily enough, in game two, I almost made a comeback <laughs> after being wasted on turn one and not hitting a land drop for three turns. I almost won anyways, thanks to Retrofitter Foundry and just creating four force and, uh, you know, just playing Shadow Spear and stuff like that. Retrofitter can really do, can, can do miracles with very little. So that was super cool. But yeah, I, I picked up a, a round one loss. Then I played against Maverick, the same opponent that Robin played against in his round one. And we were sitting next to each other at the table. And he was like, oh, oh, I'm playing this again. Well, that's good warm-up i guess it's good practice but our games were were not close (laughs) so like in game one i just presented all turns of problem like all kinds of problem like a turn one chalice mox bobble emery (laughs) and and you know just stuff like that just throwing everything at the opponent until he broke and game two was super interesting he went to like turn one green sun getting an arbor and I went like, uh, you know, Cetra Synod, Bobble, Emery. And he just plays a Caracas, bounce my Emery, and plays a Sylvan Library. So I untap, play a second seat, Bobble my opponent, play a Piffing Needle on Caracas, and replay Emery. And like, just my opponent is sitting there like, oh, what am I supposed to do? Looks at his library doesn't draw extra so i'm thinking oh that's probably a bunch of lands he plays teague from his hand and i'm just starting to you know get all of the value in the universe i get a kappa cannoneer in there i i get my shadow spear up and ready and eventually we get into this situation where i realize that my opponent has had two cards in his hand for a very long time and he's at six mana now (laughs) Why hasn't he done anything? So I, I, I understand that he's sitting on a green sun zenith and his own Teague is locking him from playing it because it, it doesn't allow X spells to be cast. So he's like, he's attacking for free with it. And I'm not blocking with my Kappa or anything like Psy. I'm just, okay, I'll take free. Eventually I do attack with like a 10-10 Kappa with Shadow Spear. And this is where the second card is revealed. He, since he has Teague in play, he taps a green, can besage you for a green, and pays four for the ward. And I'm like, resolves, I go get an island, and I just replay the kappa with Emery, <laughs> re-equip the shadow spear, and pass back. <laughs> and he's like, ah. Oh. <laughs> um, so yeah, th- those were two pretty nasty games. Round three was against Blue Red Delver. And this is uh, one of the matchups that I really wanted to try out. It's one of those matchups, you know, they have a lot of interactions, cheap counter spells, and efficient threats. And in game one, I, d- I tried to get, you know, Emery's into play and stuff like that. They always get bolted. But eventually, and, and my opponent goes like turn one Delver, which blind flips on turn two. So I'm sitting there like getting beat up super badly until 
like I've had my, I, I got my chalice on one into play, and eventually I just play right into days. Here's a Kappa Kamnir. No counter spell. Oh, great. My opponent hits me down to four, and I take my draw step, and I play my only thought monitor in the whole deck. No counter spell. Draw, trigger the Kappa. Like some turn later, Ursa Saga gets me Shadow Spear, and the game's over. Um, so it was like super interesting. But in game two, this is where the, the nastiest comes into play. Like this is where I get to do my opponent real dirty. So I keep a, a super greedy hand. I'm leaning into Emery real heavy, which gets bolted. My opponent plays two Delvers on turn two and both flip. My plan is the Ursa Saga that I played on turn two. I do get to create a token, but I do not create the second token because I need the mana. Because I, I got wastelanded on, I think, turn turn one or two or something. I get the Shadow Spear and play it, equip it, and now I have a 7-7. Seven, seven, which is bigger than a double block from Delver. I just start swinging and I keep swinging until my opponent only attacks with one Delver. And this is where I realize that I won because Shadow Spear gives trample. <laughs> so it's uh, it's inevitable, like... He couldn't stop it. But after the game, he told me like he, he didn't have Merc Tides, which is a massive deal in that in that list. He hadn't gotten his yet, which definitely is a big handicap for me. And also he didn't he didn't own Meltdown, so he played Energy Flux instead, which in this matchup is like crucial. Being able to pay a red and a red on one. To get rid of chalice and a lot of extra stuff is extremely strong. It's a lot better than paying free, play energy flux. And if my chalice is super important, I can still keep it if I need to. But yeah, those were the games. And the last round opponent was against Stoneblade. And my opponent, he's a renowned stone player, like Stoneblade player. He always plays blade in some capacity. So I kind of knew what, what I was up against. And there's this super interesting scenario in game one where my opponent is 100% certain that I'm dead. He has Teferi in play. I have Ursa Saga with two, to- like with two counters and I'm sitting on a bunch of mana open. And my opponent has like two Stoneforge Mystic, a Skyclave uh, Apparition, which is kind of spicy in that deck, and a Cauldra. So he attacks for six, which is exactly how much life I have. But I get to Ottawara the germ token nice. and my opponent is it freezes for a while nowhere. yeah like he freezes and like what uh and i'm like yeah i can do it for a teferi it's uh, it's i don't it's it's not a spell and it, and you see him just sink down in his chair and i'm sitting there like just frothing from my mouth like oh man yeah this is good i untap <laughs> make a second construct get shadow spear kill teferi and uh play an emery and a chalice on one <laughs> so i can't get the like i have a lot of mana this is super late game so my emery can't get swords i just gained a lot of life i'm not at lethal range anymore the cauldra threat has been handled and next turn the emery has like two kappa cannoneers uh, to choose between because i got uh, both of them forced earlier so that was super interesting in game game two i just had the eight cast hand i just Here's a Kappa Cannoneer. Okay, it resolves. Here's a Psy. Now my Kappa Cannoneer is a 14-14. <laughs> You're dead. 
So that was... Uh, yeah, that goes yuck. fast. Yeah, like whenever you cast an artifact, you get like... The, it grows the kappa by two because you have the cast trigger to Psy and the ETB of both artifacts. So it's just nasty. And uh, there are a lot of cool things. If people are playing this deck or thinking about it, Ottawara is extremely good in this deck. I had this one scenario where I was thinking like, is there a line where I have lethal this turn? I think it was against a Maverick opponent. And I was like, yeah, I can just bounce my own Mox Opal and get four more triggers on my... <laughs> Kappa Cannoneer with Psy in play. So it's just super nasty. There are a lot of cool lines and being able to just, if they're going for something stupid like uh, Days Undoing with Hullbreacher or Narset, Ottawara hits creatures, planeswalkers, enchantments, and artifacts. You can just bounce the thing that doesn't allow you to draw cards and it's uncomfortable if they don't have Stifle. And if they do have Stifle, you're probably in a good position anyway. So yeah, it's a, it's a really strong card. Really love it. Yeah, I'm definitely picking that up. I didn't own any copies, so I didn't play any. But like, like hiding that kind of effect in your mana base, that is so good. And like, I don't really care if I'm susceptible to Wasteland. Because if they are wasting me, they are not progressing their board. They are getting further from sweepers and all of that. So it's like, yes, go ahead and waste me. It's very true. It's very true. Yeah, what I, what I realized also is uh, people are saying like, yeah, but it's, it is a Wastelandable target. And the games I lost this evening was due to Wasteland against Death and Taxes. But it's not when they're hitting my blue cards, like my blue mana. It's when they're hitting my early Ancient Tomb that I'm leaning into, or a Saga that needs to create blockers. So if they're throwing a Wasteland at this, it doesn't feel great, but there are better lands in this deck. Like Seat of the Synod adds for your affinity count... It triggers Kappa on ETB. Ursa Saga is just like, this is the best Ursa Saga deck. And uh, Ancient Tomb is just a lot of your early like explosiveness. So I, I rather see them wasteland my Ottawara. So that was my evening. And Victor, you have some sort of injury to talk about, which might have prevented any sort of play. Would you like to share with the listeners? Well, you know, as an old man, I am at the age of the same number as we have episodes out. I just turned 39. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of approaching, you know, midlife life. And when you do that, you have weird injuries. I sprained my calf walking on a staircase because I slipped and I sprained it hard. I could barely move and I got this extraordinarily nasty bruise on my calf that's still there like 10 days later yeah we saw it <laughs> yep it, it is really quite something uh, i mean this kept me from sort of organizing my life a bit because you know if you can't move around like you're used to suddenly everything in your life takes a lot of time and uh, i mean this didn't sort of necessarily keep me from playing paper legacy in and of itself but sort of as adult life grew more complicated all of a sudden i had no hopes of sort of organizing this but nevertheless i kept buying cards my decks are going to be so good when they all arrive most of them are basically making uh, the 2022 toolbox of dnt so uh, the aganju castles have arrived and cool stuff like that so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun i have to i have to do my mandatory super bad swedish pun 
And I apologize to all of the international listeners out there. So in in Sweden, when you say that you wanna you wanna bet like on something in Swedish, that's it. That is skavislovad, and oh vad is the Swedish word also for the thing that Victor injured and. The, the the rough translation this is literally... This part is so bad, man. <laughs> and the, and the, the saying in Swedish is literally, should we hit your calf? Should we hit your calf? So yeah, I I please, should please, hit your calf please, that, that please, hurt. Please do not. <laughs> Enough caltrops for one week. Hello wizards, it's time for us to convene the Basic Land Connoisseur panel again. And this week, as promised, we will look at 8cast, the breakout deck of last year if there ever was one, and indeed the only deck that we're discussing tonight. This deck often plays just one copy of one basic land, and of course this is an island. So indeed, we really must choose wisely here. Robin, you love this deck a lot. What do you have for us in the island department? Alright, so... I went back to like the you know the old strategy of just like picking out the best card in the deck and then pairing an island or a basic land with that card. So like in my opinion the best card in 8th cast is Seat of the Synod. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> it's so good. So this is like Seat of Synod's sibling, the Island by Mark Tedin from Mirrodin. Number 291. It's a lake with really weird structures. Pointy structures. Maybe from ice or maybe from some sort of bluish metal. And then there's quite a bright light. And uh, there's some really big structures in the background. With a a blue or almost turquoise like sky in, in the background. So this is a really beautiful island, in my opinion, uh, with beautiful colors. And of course, it fits very well together with Seat of the Synod, which have like a similar picture. What do you guys think about this? Yeah, I was like, why have we put Seat of the Synod here? (laughs) 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 Until I realized, no, actually, this is not Seat of the Synod. No, but this is a beautiful island. It's, it's, It's very mirrored in. Like the art direction here is so... efficiently executed I should say and it's sort of looking at it for two seconds knowing anything about Magic Gathering history you can't place this anywhere else than Mirrodin and I think that's a good thing and as you say the the structures in this in this image I mean it's clearly I mean it's difficult to get a sort of a sense of the size of them but they could be really big like this castle and this sort of mushroomed put up dome structure in the background that sits on its independent island um this could be massive and that just is super interesting if they are because you can picture yourself being very tiny into this enormous metal ice world and uh, i mean and the use the use the usage of extremely light blue turquoise colors all through here also i think it's like sort of shaded turquoise i'm like mm, mark to dean mm knowing his stuff very good choice quite 
Yeah, Mark is is really good, and I really I really think that uh, like the blue artifact cards from these sets have this super unique look to them. I associate this a lot with like the liquid metal things and stuff like that, uh, which is very fluid. And uh, this looks like it's uh, it could be moving almost. It 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 looks organic, and uh, I I really think this is a a good pick. And it also has the added extra value of having the quote-unquote dried arbor problem which is uh, they're like oh i'll wasteland your seat of the synod and you're like it's an island homie <laughs> it's an illegal target friend yeah but yeah i think it's a it's a really good pick and i guess you can you have to be a little bit careful so that you don't mistake having metalcraft with this island in play because you are going to think it's it's a seat of design sometimes. Yeah, I have turned on metal craft, no problem. Oh wait. Uh. <laughs> yeah, super solid. What about you, Christopher? What have you chosen? So I decided to take a different approach to this, and uh, I actually picked an island that I don't even play myself in eight cast. The island that I picked was from Frono Eldrain because uh, it's the home of Emery which I think is just a crucial part of the deck, but also one of the cooler effects that the deck has, you know, just casting things that has been discarded into the lake. So I picked a Mark Pool for Honorable Drain version 257, where's this, uh, it's kind of like a meadow with a small, uh, what can you say? It's just like a, a small lake or something with a, with a small well sticking up in the middle. And it just feels like the place where Emery would lurk. And, uh, Throw, throw gadgets up to aid the battle and with added assistance of the turtle <laughs> there might be some turtles in this uh, small pond as well but i just i just really like it it's it's the opposite of mechanical which the deck is is like super mechanized everything is metallic but emery is not really the the intended design was probably to, you know, oh, I'll I'll just pick up this uh, sword that was f- thrown in there a thousand of years ago, like Excalibur or something like that. But for me, I just think that it's magical, it tells a story, and it kind of gives Emery that uh, extra spotlight that she deserves. So what do you guys think? Well, let me start off saying that it's a beautiful picture on this one. It's really looking good, and I I certainly like like the little dots that could be like stars or fireflies or something like that that sort of frames the whole picture. I'm really liking it, and of course, Emery is a is a is a powerful card in the deck and uh, quite a build around the card. So it certainly deserves to have a a home in the mana base. I like it. No, oh, I love it as well. This is. Uh... This is an island that just tells so many stories because it's an island within a forest. Like there's almost there's more green than blue in this picture, uh, which is of course a bold choice for an island. But then again, you have to remember this is Throne of Eldrain. It had a very uh, foresty, fantasy esque feel to it, of course, even more so than Ixalan, which is more of a jungle thing. And this was really like enchanted forest, and you can see this. This is sort of uh, the hidden pool. <laughs> the hidden mark pool. <laughs> oh my god. 
on on fire tonight, aren't we? So yeah, I mean, I, I love this. It's 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 very it's dreamy and storytelling, but also at the same time very serious. And I think that resonates with Emery, who is of course a fairy tale character and and a blue card, but she looks extremely dangerous and dark and mysterious and someone you really don't want to mess with. And I like how that high fantasy feel connects to the high fantasy art of uh, Mark Poole here. So uh, yeah, I'm 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 down for it. Cool. But then we have one last island to look at, and uh, then after, I hope Victor could tell the listeners which Ninja Turtle he think he is. I will do all these things, of course. So first off, my island. I'm going with the Guild Kit Iset number 48 and this is by of course who else uh, adam paquette and this this island here is a huge uh, sort of cascading waterfalls that come in several levels i mean making the niagara falls look kind of small it has this wide just goes down into this i don't know you can't even see the bottom but it's, you get the sense that this forms an enormous lake at some point um but what makes it is it is that it's also these bronze steam engine structures are attached to the cliffs of this waterfall making them of course look very machinery and this is of course way more is it than mirrodin and while i uh, would agree with robin that eight cast is more of a mirrodin than ravnica type of constructs thopter deck Adam Paquette uh, has drawn one of the key cards in 8-cast. And I'm talking, of course, about Psy, Master Thopterist. So um, our resident uh, most featured land <laughs> land artist, Adam Paquette, uh, turns out to be also the man behind the interestingly mustached uh, legendary guy from this 8-cast deck. So I thought it fitting to find a land painted by him, essentially. And while this is more is it than Mirrodin, I really do think it fits. I really like it. It's looked like it's some sort of power plant. I think that it's producing energy. Yeah, yeah, it's a power plant for sure. You, you're right on there. And like this is the kind of island that would power up the engine that is eight cast. So yeah, it's it fits right into it. And uh, Sai is one of my favorite cards in in eight cast. I, I'm not gonna lie and. Specifically, I really like the art, even as you say, it's a little bit sort of softer when it comes to like the artifacts and uh, all of that. It has a softer feel than the other ones, but I really like the art in in both Sai and this one, and and they fit well together. Yeah, I agree. And I really think that the um, if you have this island as your choice, like as you pick for your island, it can give the deck that extra steampunky like steampunky feel which i think goes well with sai goes well with the thought monitor maybe the kappa depending on how how far you can stretch it but i think as a as an island it is a like super mechanized thing it's integrated into nature just like technology is integrated onto turtles and stuff like that now but i do think that it's it's a super clean pick and this this island looks more of a steam vents than one of the actual steam vents. So I think that's also a bonus point. This is true. I mean, you, you could figure a Kappa Cannoneer type of turtle working these power plant steam structures sort of beneath the surface here, swimming around with their whatever the fuck that is that they have on their back and sort the of just... The Blastoise Cannon. <laughs> 
yeah just sort of being the janitor at this uh, waterfall power plant uh, speaking of turtles obvious choice here is Raphael, the coolest the baddest the evilest and uh it doesn't dick around like the rest of the turtles they're just like "Ooh, look i can spin a pizza i'm a very serious leader because i have a japanese sword <laughs> blah blah and Raphael just sort of kills people with cool weapons good then we don't have any you know crossover like uh, we define that robin is uh, what's his name leonardo yeah I, I picked leonardo and i'm the nerd donatello because he's doing machines and shit and i'm doing machine learning so i guess that i'm donatello even though i'm a michelangelo on the inside michelangelo it's a party dude donatello in the streets michelangelo in the sheets <laughs> <laughs> And that is <laughs> that is all we have for this week. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode as much as we have enjoyed recording it. It really is a pleasure every time. If you like the show, do not hesitate to reach out and let us know what you like about it. That way we can get the best out of ourselves for you. One way to say hi is in our Discord server. You can find the link in the episode description. In addition to the Discord, you can hit us up on Twitter at STHLM Legacy, Stockholm Legacy. We are also present personally on some social media. Robin, where can listeners find you? On the Discord server. You'll find me there as well, but also on Twitter at MonolithMTG. And I'm on Twitter at Disco Drogo. And that is the end of the 39th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. Warm thanks to you for listening the great Frenas has written our music you can find their work on spotify until next time remember that five thopters are more than four constructs